So we live in kind of challenging days and um, uncertain days. And kind of, you, I guess in the days we live, people are often asking, well, how, how do I live my life? What, what's going what's gonna to influence me for good and perhaps for bad? I think we're often bombarded with um, all sorts of pressures, all sorts of voices, all sorts of uh, things uh, speaking to us. Matt, I'm sounding a bit boomy. You might want to just turn the bass down on this a little bit, my friend. Thank you. Um, things telling us what we should look like, how we should dress, how we should appear. Um, <clears throat> I said this morning, uh, St. Tom's, how to, how to be fulfilled, how to be complete, how to be thin. Not so good on that one. How to be fit, definitely not so good on that one. How to be beautiful, doing all right on that one. Um, how to be satisfied, what's going to make you happy, all those sort of things. And we're told how we should think, we're told how we should be, we're told how we should look, all the rest of it. And actually the reality is those things are often pressures that are pushing in, shaping in, things that are trying to mould us, in a sense, if you like. And often those things can actually really harm us and hurt us. Um, Terrorism is a bit of one of those voices trying to shape trying to perhaps uh, dominate, trying to crush spirit, oppress, tell us how to think, destroy hope. That's what terrorism wants to do. So if that's a reality, those things are pushing in on us, how do we respond to that? What I want to share tonight is not, um, it's not a, a, a new message. It's something I've shared before, but it's just come back to me again today as I was preparing this sermon. I'd written a sermon for this morning, and these two readings... Uh, were from um, this morning's lectionary, the one we had uh, earlier on, the Pentecost reading, and the John reading we just heard. Now, there were the two readings in the lectionary for for Pentecost. And as I kind of reflected on those readings, I reflected about the reality of the Holy Spirit, it made me think, well, what does it mean for us today? What does this look like for us today? Because there's so many things trying to shape us and push us that I think God really wants to speak into that. This isn't a new message, but it's one that I I think God wants to keep us hearing until we actually begin to live it out and know it in our lives. I remember um, our school physics lessons. Um, I quite enjoyed physics for for, for a while, mainly because there were lots of kind of things that I could play with, electrical things and dangerous things in the office, in the the kind of classroom that looked lots of fun. Um, I remember we had dry ice that we used to fly down the corridor uh, I mean, you'd never be allowed to do these things now. We used to kind of hit it with a cricket bat and it would shoot right the way down the corridor and explode against the door at the end. I guess you probably can't do that now in physics lessons. And there were things like Van de Graaff generators and you would try to see how many people you could electrocute in a long line. You know, whether you could send an electrical spark right the way around and when the teacher used to walk through the door, you used to try and touch them to see if you could electrocute them. All sorts of great things. Physics. Who said physics is boring? There was also... Um, a vacuum, so you could kind of um, create a vacuum, and there was also this kind of high um, pressure chamber. And I remember one of the teachers with this, uh, <laughs> I can't remember the lesson very well, but I remember what happened. He took a bottle and he um, removed, using the, the kind of this vacuum pump, he removed the air from the bottle. And of course, it just crushes instantly. And you kind of think, well, it's because the air is being sucked out, isn't it? Well, actually, it's much more than that, isn't it? It's the pressure outside is so much greater than the pressure inside. And when it gets to a point where the pressure outside is really above the pressure inside, the bottle just kind of completely crushes inward, completely destroyed. And the only way to restore it is to kind of equalize that pressure or put greater pressure inside to push back again. 
We need in our lives a force that's at least equal to and greater than the pressure of the world to push back. Incredibly, um, some of you may have heard me share this story before, but incredibly, sometimes I think the pressure of life can sometimes give us solutions. We can see breakthrough sometimes in pressure. Um, Years ago, there was a man called Clarence, and he took his girlfriend on a summer outing. They took a picnic lunch out to a picturesque island in the middle of a small lake. She wore a long dress, and he wore a suit with a high collar. Clarence rowed them out to this island, dragged the boat onto shore, spread the picnic supplies beneath the shade of a tree, was so hypnotised by the beauty that he hardly noticed the sun was kind of blazing down on them and that he was sweating. And softly she whispered to him, Clarence, you forgot the ice cream. So he got back into the boat, dragged it down to the water, rowed right the way back across the lake, ran to the nearest grocery store, bought the ice cream, ran back to the boat, put it in the boat, rowed back across, pulled the boat back up onto the shore, went back to the shade of the tree and presented the ice cream to his beloved. At which point she said, Clarence, you forgot the chocolate sauce. So Clarence went back down to the boat, got back in the boat, pulled the boat into the lake, rowed across the shore, went to the grocery store, bought some of this chocolate sauce, got back into the boat, rowed back across the lake, and halfway across the lake he stopped. And he began to think... And he sat there for the rest of the afternoon in the middle of this lake, fascinated by an idea. By the end of that afternoon, Clarence Evanrude had invented the outboard motor. True story. He actually then went on later and married this woman as well, who had waited for a long time on the island, wondering where her beloved had got to. Sometimes in pressure, we do find a solution. Perhaps it's unusual. But the truth is, for many of us, pressure outwardly can cause us not to kind of think, okay, what's going on, and try and find a solution. It can just cause us to crush. We can give way particularly to fear. That's a real reality. Many today are living in real fear because of the news this morning that many people have woken up to, because of the trauma of what's happened in Manchester and London and other places. And, of course, that's a reality for many people every single day, car ball, that enormous car bomb that went off that briefly was on the news you might have caught it or it might have just been another car bomb that we don't notice anymore but fear paralyzes us, causes us to feel alone and vulnerable unable to step out and it reduces our hope for the future I think it crushes life and in that passage we just heard read by Mary we see Jesus' friends really really afraid gathered together with doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders. John makes it really clear in the the Gospel that after Jesus' crucifixion, the disciples were overcome with fear and I think probably despair. They're two really overwhelming emotions that can kind of hold us. They had been following this really charismatic leader, Jesus, for a long time. And he had threatened the Roman Empire and the Jewish religious leadership And now these disciples, these friends of Jesus, find themselves genuinely afraid, alone, and failing to cope with the religious kind of consequences of Jesus' ministry. And then in this spectacular moment, we know the story so well, I've spoken about it many times, Jesus comes and stands amongst them. There they are. He knows that they're feeling defeated. He knows that they're afraid. And he knows that he needs to give them help so that they can move forward. 
So what does he offer to them? What do most of us crave? What do people long for, I think, in these days? It's peace. Peace. What, but what is that? What's peace? And what does that look like? I think sometimes we think of peace as the absence of noise or the absence of conflict. The truth is there's always noise and conflict around. But I think it's more than that. I think it's a genuine, life-enhancing, life-changing serenity and stillness that can come even in the midst of conflict, even in the midst of noise, even in the midst of trauma. Many of us here have known real trauma. And I would say have also somehow miraculously known God's peace in the midst of that. Um, if you've been part of the city for a while, um, St. Tom's, we had a service there and there were loads of guests this morning. And people always say, this church is so beautiful, it feels so amazing. Maybe you've been into some kind of ancient churches or some of the cathedrals where just to sit is an inspiring thing. And people often say to me, oh, churches are just such a really peaceful place. But why is that? What is that? You might think it's just the really nice architecture or the kind of beautiful way it's been put together. But I think it's so much more than that. As I've often said, St. Tom's, for example, for a thousand years on that site, people have literally soaked the ground with prayers. Probably often with tears, with joy, with laughter. It's a place where the really real, tangible presence of God can be felt. The actual presence through his spirit. True, lasting, life-defining peace. And I think that's the real presence of God. Where God comes, his presence is there, and peace can come. God's love, God's mercy, his forgiveness, his grace, his presence, his peace. You know, you look at the news today, we, the truth is we live in a really warped world where there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of brokenness and pain, and we see that, we hear that. But God doesn't leave us in that place. He comes to us. I mentioned last week um, Bishop Peter had, had written a little piece about Manchester, and he, he quoted something that had come to him that he'd heard a few years ago. And I think it's, I think it's true, it's very simple, but it's profound. He said this, In Jesus, God did not come to explain suffering or to remove it, but simply to fill it with his presence. And so for those early disciples, they're in that room, they're scared, they're afraid. They don't need nice words or good theology or a good understanding of why all these difficult things have happened to them as a quick answer. They don't need a politician-style pressing of the flesh, a quick smile and a handshake. They need something that would change them. And what changed them? Well, it wasn't going to be a religious institution or, um, or religion itself. They were scared and confused. They felt lost. And in that moment, in that place, God comes to them in the person of his son and he breathes on them. I've spoken about this a few times recently, but at the moment it's just resonating so strongly in me. Jesus breathes on his friends. And I'm going to keep speaking about it until I get it in my heart, until we get it. God wants to breathe on you. God wants to breathe into you. And actually, you really, really need it in these days. Because religion and institution is not going to cut it in the days we live anymore. People need the reality of the presence and power of Jesus. 
They don't need nice words or even nice deeds, as wonderful as they are, but they need the reality of an encounter with a God who is able to transform and bring hope. I need Jesus to breathe on me. Today's Pentecost Sunday. It's a Sunday of celebration in some ways. But that celebration, I think, is muted. But actually, the world that gave birth to the church some 2,000 years ago was a world of pain, opposition, challenge, terror. Things haven't really changed. And in the midst of persecution, in the midst of confusion, and the midst of a terrible mess and political upheaval... Christians, people like you and me, who were filled with the Spirit, made a difference and began to bring transformation. Imperfect people filled by the perfect God. Pentecost Sunday, the birth of the church through the coming of the Holy Spirit. They were scared people, maybe like many in this nation. But they were awakened, empowered by the Spirit of God. In fact, made so bold... As you might have heard, and you'll remember, no doubt, from the reading you've heard many times over the years, so bold that people thought they were drunk. Here they are praising God in all these tongues. It wasn't just a babble. It was audible, recognisable language. I don't know if you've heard anyone speaking in tongues that they haven't learnt. It's amazing. I have. I've heard people speaking in Welsh. You know that must be God. I have a friend who became a Christian because she didn't believe that that the Holy Spirit was real or the gift of tongues was real. And she was in a meeting and someone prayed for her who was English and started praying. And she started recognizing Welsh words, declaring the love of God. It was so mind-blowing. She stopped this bloke mid-sentence and said, do you speak Welsh? And he went, no. Perhaps he didn't say that. That sounded quite offensive when he said that, but I think he was a bit surprised. And she said, you've just been telling of God's love. And he was like, Cool. You thought many of you have heard me talk about the girl from Finland who prayed in French and Spanish over my life. Two languages that I understand. She didn't speak French or Spanish. This is real. The reality of the Holy Spirit bringing transformation in people's lives. So all these nations hear God being praised in their own languages. Unbelievers hearing the reality of God's kingdom rule and his righteousness and his power and his love. And they're dumbstruck. One or two are a bit cynical. And someone says, you know, these guys are drunk. And Peter says, look, 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 it's only nine o'clock in the morning. We're not drunk. I said this morning, clearly he didn't know some of the parts of Kent that I grew up in, where quite often you'd find people at nine o'clock in the morning drunk. But that's another story. But here, he was like, no, we're not drunk. This is the Holy Spirit. This is the Holy Spirit. The reality of God's kingdom coming. Remember that bottle I said earlier where the air was removed from it, it just crushed with the atmospheric pressure outside pushing in. Well, Jesus breathes on these scared, weak, unsure disciples and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Um, Wednesday this, this week, um, we went punting. Has anyone here ever been punting? <laughs> if you haven't, don't. Oh my gosh, possibly the most pointless, painful, wet hour I have spent sweating on a pole. It was just 
like pole vaulting looks stupid. Well, imagine doing that on a boat. It's just madness. It, I was terrible at it. But anyway, the reason I say that, we went punting because Sarah thought it would be fun. It's not. But we rode to this boat station. We, we took our bikes. Uh, and uh, that, that, was, that was okay. <laughs> Sam's, when we got Sam's bike out of the garage, the front tire was a bit flat. So we pumped up this tire, this pneumatic tire. And we rode there. Pneumatic. Funny word, isn't it? It means containing or operated by air under pressure. Pneumatic. And of course, many of you know that word pneuma is the Greek word, which means air, breath, spirit. Air under pressure. Air offered to fill, to reinflate us, to push back against what the world's trying to crush us with. The world, the flesh, the devil, that seeks to crush our spirits, that seeks to crush who we are. But God says, I want to fill you with something to give you breath, to give you air, to give you something that pushes back, that enables you to stand bold and strong and secure. The Holy Spirit, Numa. Jesus breathed on them. He wanted his breathless, out-of-puff friends to breathe again. He wants his breathless, out-of-puff church to really breathe, to inhale deeply, to know his breath, to be filled with his presence, with his power, to breathe securely, to be filled with something supernatural inside, like that tyre, like that bottle that inflated, that will push back against the world's terrors, challenges and wounds. And that can bring peace, a deep inner peace, when everything else is screaming and shouting around us. So my prayer for us, this sermon is really, really simple. The, the difficult part is how we respond to it, in a sense, in our own lives. But my prayer for us in these days, for the children who are part of this church, for the youth, the young people, for you guys who are students at academic institutions, for young adults, for the married people here, with your spouses, for single people here, for those working in all sorts of pressure in the workplace, in businesses, in finance, teachers who are seeking to educate the next generation, mums on the school gate, all of us, whether you're working, whether you're retired, whether you're a grandparent or a parent, that we could all, in these days, in these really challenging days, encounter the very, very real life changing, peace-offering, supernaturally empowering, spectacular, loving presence of God through his breath. That we'd experience that in us and with us. Genesis 2.7 Then God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. Psalm 103, we often sing this song, it's an old vineyard song, isn't it? As the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we're formed, he remembers that we're dust. Here's the disciples in this upper room, all dusty and scared. And Jesus breathes life into them. And what happens to them? Well, then they emerge and they come out of this room transformed, kind of 
with these little kind of candle flames <laughs> on their head. I'd love to have seen what that was like. You know, in the cartoons, you see this sort of little ready brick candle above their heads. But the Holy Spirit was there. It was physical. It was visible. It was there. And something so happened to them that they couldn't be the same again. And they burst out of this room. Terrorists want us to be silent. The enemy wants us to be silent. Satan wants us to hide away, to be a church which is insignificant and insipid and silent, one that cowers. But Jesus' vision for his bride is spectacular, a glorious, dynamic, hope-filled, passionate, exciting church filled with hope, one that bleeds, one that cries, one that weeps, but one that loves endlessly. And one that has the capacity to turn the other cheek when it's assaulted. We prayed for the Coptic church in Egypt at the moment. Terrible atrocities against Christians in Egypt right now. Last week a coachload of Christians killed there. Pakistan and India, unbelievable persecution against the church. But the church in India growing ludicrously. Paul was talking about that last week. He and I have been speaking to some people there. The church under pressure, not crushed, not coward, not silent, but somehow empowered by the Spirit, bringing transformation. And from the blood of the martyrs and from the prayer of the saints and the worship of God's people, somehow something mighty rises out and God is honoured. And amidst the pain and the suffering, Jesus comes amongst and spends time with and loves and encourages and encounters Jesus wants to empower us to go out and share the amazing news of his love and his life. Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. For some of you, that fills you with complete excitement. And for others, that fills you with complete terror. And the truth is, how did the Father send the Son? As the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Well, it was in obscurity, wasn't it? It was in poverty. It was often unseen and not always very lovely looking. And he went to the difficult. He went to the, the unlovable, seemingly. And he went and he paid great cost. He suffered because of it. He was ridiculed. He was beaten. He was, had people turn their back on him. But he went in the power of the Spirit. He went with power and he went with love. As the Father sent Jesus, so he's sending you. You're not alone. You're not an orphan. You go with his spirit. And you don't go alone because as Jesus said, as the Father sending me, so I'm sending, as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. It's a plural you. It's us. As the Father sent Jesus, he's sending us. We don't go alone. It always makes me laugh that God looks at me and us and says, you're my plan A. And I don't have a plan B. It fills me with laughter and terror. We're it, folks. We and the other glorious churches in this city, Bath City, St. Bart's, Freedom, Holy Trinity, Whitcomb Baptist, all the independent churches, the Methodist churches. We're it. We're God's plan to bring love and hope to this city. We all get to play. We all get to be part of that.
together we're sent into the world with different gifts, different burdens, with different spheres of influence. But we're sent, and we've got to be willing to go. And I know that in order to be sent, I need way more than what I've got, which is just me, because that's nothing. I need God's breath in me. I need his wind in my sails. I need his power in my heart. I need his love. And so I want to pray for us. It's a really simple message. And I'm going to just pray. I really want to pray that in these days, we can be part of a church which is filled with his spirit.